Hi, I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Schiavo-Campo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reed. Today on Run Tell This, our special coverage of the Chauvin murder trial continues. Legal analyst and crisis manager Monique Presley and editor-at-large of the Daily Beast Goldie Taylor on Chauvin's conviction. How much time will the former officer serve for the murder of George Floyd? Plus, what was the key to a conviction in this case? And what can we expect from the upcoming cases against the other officers? So Monique, I want to start with you with uh, the pressing question in terms of sentencing. When will Chauvin be sentenced? What factors will influence the sentence? And how much time do you think he's going to get? There's an orange jumpsuit waiting for him. The kitchen sink might be thrown at this officer and nobody is going to be less upset about it than me. Uh, the judge said today we it may be about eight weeks before we have sentencing. In addition to the fact that the jury found guilty, guilty, guilty on all three charges and the first two charges each carry about 12 and a half uh, years. And then the third charge about four when, when, when all things are considered, but they have asked for enhanced sentencing. So 30, I'm going to go ahead and put it in there. I got 30 on it. If he can survive the prison system, he's out in his in his 60s, in his early 60s. As we watched him, when he when the sentence was was read, we couldn't see that we couldn't see his face below his eyes, but you could see what his eyes were doing. And it struck me and you and Goldie, you can tell me whether whether or not you agree with this. But but it struck me that for the first that moment when the judge said guilty on each one of those counts looked to me like the first time Derek Chauvin even considered the possibility that he could be held accountable. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. Same caption, verdict count two. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count two, third degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. Same caption, verdict count three. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count three, second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.45 p.m. You know, I think that you're exactly right about that. It was the first time that I saw Derek Shaven crack at all. You know, that he went to trial at all is telling, is telling about you know, how he sees this justice system. He took a gamble because he understood the math. He understood that rarely as a police officer, let alone a white police officer taken to trial, indicted, uh, you know, even convicted or sentenced, you know, in the death of a black suspect. He knows what those odds are. And so he took a gamble and he was steadfast in his math. And so you didn't see uh, much facial expression. You didn't see any remorse. First crack came when he lost the gamble, when he lost the bet. The first crack came when that first verdict of guilty came down and then a second and then a third. You know, you saw him nearly take a bit of a double take as if to say, could this be happening to me in these United States? It's not supposed to work out this way. Why do you think that despite the video, despite how clear cut this was, despite the throttling that the prosecution gave the defense, given all of those things, why was everybody still so nervous about whether or not there would be an actual conviction? 
You know, I think it's because we've seen this before. You know, there was a very clear video, sound and all, for Eric Garner. But that officer was never indicted and never even faced trial. I think it's because we've seen this play out very differently. I, I say that Lady Justice is not blind. She sees clearly, but she sees no color more clearly than blue. And that doesn't matter who is in the uniform. You know, I, I say that it doesn't matter the race of the victim so much as it does the race of the shooter. And when that shooter is wearing blue, then the math changes almost immediately. We had a measured optimism. You know, this was as good of a case as I think we were ever going to get. Consider the testimony as a whole. Officer after officer after officer got on that stand, raised their hand and told you, the chief of police, right? That this conduct, the 929, violates the use of force policy, violates the department's core values. He violated his duty of care and only you have the power to convict the defendant of these crimes. And in so doing, and in so doing declare that this use of force was unreasonable. It was excessive. It was grossly disproportionate. It is not an excuse for the shocking abuse that you saw with your own eyes. And you can believe your own eyes. It's what you felt in your gut. It's what you now know in your heart. This wasn't policing. This was murder. But we did know that George Floyd was going to be put on trial, that a dead man laying in his grave, that his life was going to be put on trial. But I think I like to quote Adam Sir here. Adam Sir writes for The Atlantic, a brilliant writer. He says, and I paraphrase him here, that there are no circumstances in which a Black body cannot be blamed for its own death. I can take that further and say, there are no circumstances in which a Black body cannot be blamed for its own murder, maiming, or plunder. They can find anything in our history and turn it on us as if we asked for it. Some of us were prepared for a juror to say, well, maybe they've got a point there. Maybe George Floyd did ask for it. The state has really focused on the nine minutes and 29 seconds. Nine minutes, 29 seconds. Nine minutes, 29 seconds. It's not the proper analysis because the nine minutes and 29 seconds ignores the previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds. It completely disregards it. It says, in that moment, at that point, nothing else that happened before should be taken into consideration by a reasonable police officer. A reasonable police officer would, in fact, take into consideration the previous 16 minutes and 59 seconds. Their experience with the subject, the struggle that they had, the comparison of the words to actions, it all comes into play. Why? Because human behavior is unpredictable. Maybe he is culpable in his own death. And that is enough for some people to say, aha, there's my reasonable doubt. And that's enough to set an officer like Derek Shaven free. It always frustrates me. It always pisses me off. It always aggravates me when I hear people talk about police with this, with this reverence and this justification 
in, in that, you know, the, well, you know, they may have been scared or we have to give them a break or we've got to we got to understand how tough the job is. You signed up for that job. You chose to go through the academy. You choose to put on that badge and that gun every day. You choose to subject your, yourself to to the laws that govern what you're supposed to do and to the policies that govern what it is that you're supposed to do as you interact with, with people day to day. I did not. Tamir Rice did not. George Floyd did not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we still come back to, to, the, to this place of somehow the officer deserve, deserves a break, which brings me to this, to this, Monique. What was it, in your opinion, that took this jury over the threshold? The prosecution did its job. And so to me, this is the appropriate time to to talk to us about the need, the the absolute critical and urgent need for quality prosecutors to be responsible for prosecuting cases. I need a Keith who's going to come in and say, there's nobody in my office who can try this case. So I'm going to pull from press prosecutors and bring them in and they're going to be willing to accept that job at at no fee and and prosecute this case because that's what Jerry Blackwell did, right? That's what Shecker did. They laid out a methodical case. They put all of the evidence in its proper perspective. As I said last time, they didn't give us chronological order. They gave us relevant order. You know, we started with the most important things from from day one, and then we worked our way through all of the rest of the things. Ultimately, it really isn't that complicated. Uh, in, in what it is you have to decide with respect to the excessive use of force and uh, the issue of causation. In fact, it is so simple that a child could understand it. In fact, a child did understand it when the nine-year-old girl said, get off of him. That's how simple it was. Get off of him. They pulled the sting on all of the bad evidence. They did everything they were supposed to do, and they did it without beating that jury up. I think there's two other things that were really unique and really at play here. And we can't, the, the first is we cannot diminish the impact of the countless people who took to the streets and made it clear that enough was enough, that this was the last straw, that we were not going to take it anymore. And it was a, a very diverse group, that this was the thing that made Americans stand up and say, no, enough is enough. And our voices were key to getting all the things that you just mentioned, to making sure that the attorney general was going to put the right prosecutors in place and not screw this up. The other thing that's really important here is that there was a diverse jury. And then unlike with the Rodney King case and with a lot of other cases um, where you didn't have any blacks on the jury, there was a diverse jury. And why does that matter? Why does it matter today? It matters because most juries are pulled from voter rolls and voter registration. So when we're talking about all of these fights all across the country, Republican-led efforts to restrict the access to the ballot and to, to voting rights across the country, this is a direct byproduct of that. This is why for so many decades, Black people couldn't get justice in this country because it was not a jury of their peers, in large part because those people weren't on voter rolls because they were blocked from that. So I feel like there were a lot of different things that came into play here where the system did work, where 
finally the system did work, where we saw a historic moment where an officer was held fully accountable for murder. The things that you said that did weigh in are the things I have a problem with weighing in because I need for prosecutors to do their jobs when there's no marching, when there are no crowds, when there's no uprising. The real test of justice is, can we put in prosecutors, states, attorneys, county attorneys in those positions that will follow the law and their own conscience and do the right thing when nobody is looking. We should not have to demand justice. It should come to us. That's equal protection. But for that small you know, cohort of people standing on that corner, though, the initial narrative about this case would have prevailed mm-hmm. that a suspect resisted arrest and was culpable in his own death, that he died while being subdued. This case for me was was yes about a prosecutor who did a who did a fantastic job. Think about all of the the witnesses that they had. I was listening to the to the to the press conference right after after trial and Keith Ellison was thanking all of the people who participated and and spoke specifically about the attorney who had done the the witness preparation. A man from the neighborhood just walking to get a drink. A child going to buy a snack with her cousin an off-duty firefighter on her way to a community garden, brave young women, teenagers, who press record on their cell phones. Why did they stop? They didn't know George Floyd. They didn't know he had a beautiful family. They didn't know he had been a great athlete, and they didn't know he was a proud father or that he had people in his life who loved him. They stopped and raised their voices and they even challenged authority because they saw his humanity. They stopped and they raised their voices because they knew that what they were seeing was wrong. Think about all those witnesses. You, you, had, you had a former EMT who just happened upon the scene. There was a man being killed and I would have, had I had, had access to a, a call Similar to that, um, I would have been able to provide medical attention to the best of my abilities, and this human was denied that. You had a 911 dispatcher who was watching it on on camera and, and thought it was serious enough to call the police herself, to call the supervisor herself and testify to that. They had changed. They had come from the back of the squad to the ground and my instincts were telling me that something's wrong. Something has not right. I don't know what, but something wasn't right. You had a nine-year-old who testified as to what she saw. You had a 17-year-old who took video. Say, get off of him. You're hurting him. He can't breathe, he's not moving. But anytime someone tries to get close, they were defensive. You had a you had a, a, a trained mixed martial arts fighter who had actually trained with police and who was and who was watching this and who was actually telling the police while they were there, this is that you're gonna kill him. 
and this is how you're going to kill him because this is what he because this is what he's doing and i know it because i'm trained to do it it's a blood choke where um it specifically attacks the side of the neck and it particularly cuts off the circulation of your arteries and stops the different bleed of blood flowing from body to from top of your head to the bottom of your head right and but for all of those things so we can talk about how good of a job the prosecutor did but the reality is the prosecutor needed all of that to get a conviction and the prosecute and we needed Keith Ellison, a former congressman who is now the elected attorney general, not just the local prosecutor whose jurisdiction this should have been, but you needed the elected attorney general of the state to take the case away from the local prosecutor and then to go outside of not only his office, but the local prosecutor's office and get prosecutors who were in the public sector to get lawyers who were in the public sector and bring bring them back like yeah, but there but the here's facts the, 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 the reality is that the facts in the case weren't enough right they, they weren't they weren't enough because if they were enough then the video would have been enough to convict this man we saw nine minutes of this man kneeling 200 pounds on somebody on somebody's neck and you still needed all of the rest of that stuff to get it to get a conviction so i agree with you monique that it should be enough for the prosecutor to just do their job but this was a lot more a hell of a lot more than just the prosecutor doing their job they had to have like every domino fall in just the right place but but here's here's what i've been kind of grappling with in terms of how i i receive this news um you know, it always takes a lot to kick down the door for the first time. But when it comes to cultural always shifts, bloody. Uh, always bloody, right? The first person to go through the door always gets shot. But when it comes to these cultural shifts, there is a tipping point societally and culturally where all of a sudden now that that way of thinking becomes mainstream. So what I'm what I'm really trying to figure out right now is now that this has happened, now that an officer has been led away from the courtroom in handcuffs, and certainly he's not the first ever to be convicted, but in on such a high profile where the world was watching, where so much was at stake in this case, and they got it right. Justice was served. Does it now become easier for juries to convict officers um, in cases like this? Does it now become easier for the average person to say, okay, well, yeah, he might've been wearing a uniform, but what he did was wrong. So I'm still willing to convict him in this case. Is this the beginning of a new era of accountability or does it have to be all of this evidence and the nine minutes on videotape and the perfect witnesses and the perfect prosecutors and the people in the streets is that what it's going to take to ever see anything like this again? Are we at a tipping point? You know, Mara, I'm skeptical. You know, certainly we are a good ways away from 50 years ago. We're even a good ways away from 20 and even five years ago. But are we there yet at a tipping point? This is one case. And so I think that we still have a good long ways to go. And yes, you know, the movement plays a significant role, you know, certainly in that. But I think the advent of technology plays a significant role in that, that 13th witness, that smart camera that people are pointing, you know, at this, uh, at these events, all of that sort of plays into it. So the, so the, so the math is shifting, but the equation is still the same. The evidence is still tilted against black suspects in police custody when they die. And so I think until we come to a day when, as Monique says, a movement is not needed, that us taking to the streets to demand justice is not necessary that we have to strip away a case from a local prosecutor and the state's attorney general has to take it over. When we get to a day when that is not necessary, then I think that we've come to a tipping point. 
Um, Monique, I, I'm curious about what this means for the other officers who are going to find themselves in the defendant's seat. What can we expect from their trials and potential convictions based on what we've seen in this trial? Do you think that there will be other convictions or do you think that this absolves them because now we have put the perpetrator behind bars? Oh, no, I expect them to be guilty. I fully expect them to be guilty. They had an obligation to render aid. They didn't have an obligation to whisper, hey, man, you think we might want to turn him over? You know, excited delirium. Uh Uh-uh, no, none of that is going to work. So will it be less than than Chauvin? Yes, I would expect so. But after this, you got to think about it. Those future juries, they watched all of this. There is no escaping it. There's no sequestering. You're not going to go under any rock to find jurors who didn't see this and see the outcome. This was accountability. It wasn't justice. And it, and, and it goes to what you talked about, Monique, this idea that, that justice is when we don't have to go through all of the hoops and the hurdles to get a, to get a conviction. Justice is... You know, it, it shouldn't have taken the weight of the world to get a, to get a conviction for Derek Chauvin. I am at best, at best, Mara, I am I'm satisfied that accountability was done in a courtroom today. I don't believe that. I know that there was that there have been a lot of tears and a lot of cheering and a lot of elation. And I understand fully where all of that comes from. I don't share in it because I don't think that there's anything joyful about what brought us to this, to this moment. My, my emotions are there, but they're, but they're muted at best because this is just, we didn't even get through this trial without there having been additional black men killed. One of them, unarmed in a suburb, not 20 minutes from where the trial was going on. I think you're right about it not being joyful. Um, It is a relief because I was really, really dreading the alternative Um, and not Mm. just, you know, we know that all hell would have broken loose. We know that the streets would have been on fire. We know that. But I was really dreading my own emotional state um, because Mm. my country that I love has disappointed me and broken my heart so many times. And so Mm. I was preparing myself for that heartache. And I'm so relieved that tonight I don't have to feel that heartache and that tonight the system worked and maybe it took more pressure than it should have, but it worked. And we can say that we got justice for George Floyd. And that feels good. It's not celebration because his daughter is still going to grow up without a father and his Mm. family is still going to miss him every day and every holiday and every birthday. And he will never come back. It's not celebration, but it is satisfying. It is satisfying. I knew what the, what the outcome would have been, what the result would have been, had there been an acquittal. I am so used to there not being acquittals that I was not certain what the, what the response was going to be if they're in, in the event of a guilty verdict up yeah. until the moment thereof, like I'm saying, you know, because we so see funny? like, I, me and my husband opened the front door and we looked and we're like, what's going to happen? Are people going to be banging pots and pans? And they're like, what, what do we do when we get justice? We don't right. even know what to do. Do we get to flip over cars today because we happy? Like y'all start flipping over cars when y'all win a football championship. We, this was our championship. There was almost no context for which 
the emotion around a cop being found guilty of murder of a black man under these circumstances would could could be you know could 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 be found. I'll take it over the alternative. Thank you to our guests, Monique. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Goldie, thank you for being here. Goldie has a new article on this in the Daily Beast. So please be sure to check that out. Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at runtellthis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Runtell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.